This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Susan Walsh, who is the founder of The Classification Guru, uh, the fixer of Dirty Data, the creator of Coat, and I think for the time being until, you know, maybe a couple of months time when she's become an author. Um, that's it for now, Susan, but thank you very much for, for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. So look, Looking forward to kind of getting into this, um, but as we always start, can you just kind of give us a brief introduction into, I guess, your background and, and journey to date and how you've ended up where, where you are right now? Yeah, I think like most people, it's by accident. So I um, graduated from uni with a degree in commerce, um, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, my first job was merchandising paint in DIY stores. Then I kind of moved down south with that job, left there, didn't know what I wanted to do, tried out recruitment and sales, um, went into telesales and then into account management, national accounts. Then I realised I was doing what I thought I should be doing rather than what I actually wanted to do. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I had this idea about opening a shop in Guildford for women. Um, it was at a time when internet was kind of taken off, but wasn't quite there yet. And um, there wasn't anywhere to buy smart casual clothing and, you know, didn't have to be suits and blouses and smart ca- uh, business wear all the time in the office. Yeah. So opened an amazing shop, thought I was going to like, you know, take over Guildford with it and it completely bombed. Um, so after about eight months, I had to shut everything up. Um, I had literally no money, was desperate for work. So I went uh, online, found an ad for some data entry, data classification work. And um, that was with a spend analytics company. So that was my first kind of step into the procurement slash data world, had nothing to do with it before then. Um, But because I had worked in business, I found that it was really easy for me to classify data because I just knew what businesses were spending things on. You know, I'd worked in sales, I'd worked with logistics and supply chain. So I had a really rounded kind of experience. I spent five years there and really loved it, grew a team. I had like 14 people. We were all home-based. So we were remote working before remote working was a thing. <laughs> yep. And um, yeah, it just felt like it was time to to move on. And because I didn't have any connections in the industry, um, I hadn't worked in it before. I didn't know where I could get a job doing what I did because I wasn't an analyst. I couldn't code, couldn't do any of that stuff. Um, had never worked in procurement, so didn't even know really what procurement was. I just knew about the data. So I thought, you know, I really love doing this, but I don't know where I can get a job. Um, so I'm just going to set up my business and see what happens. Um, and the intention was always really just to keep doing what I was doing and pay the bills. Um, and, it, and even from when I started, people were like, oh, that's a really good idea. You know, I needed you 
but it it took a good couple of years to for people to I guess tr- see me, trust me, build up a reputation, um, and and now things are are busier than ever, which mm. is just amazing. Good. Good. Well, I guess um, moral of that story is probably everything happens for a reason, right? Failed business. Yes. And, so literally know. would not be doing what I'm doing now if my first business hadn't failed. So yeah, interesting. Okay. So I mean, I find it fascinating because a lot of people that end up doing really well in this industry and whether they're climbing the corporate ladder or they're going out on their own, very rarely come from a pure kind of technical background. Yeah. They've kind of landed up in the world of data analytics through an, another avenue. So just a, another story there. But I guess g- give us a bit of insight then into the classification guru. And, you know, obviously we know where that's come from now, but in yeah. terms of the type of work you're doing and, you know, customers that you're working with and, and things like that. Yeah. So my, my tagline is fixer of dirty data. And the reason that I use that one is because it's the simplest way to explain what I do, but it's such a broad and vague term that people do misunderstand what I do mm-hmm. um, so I work with clients in procurement who either have never classified their data before and have no visibility on what they're spending their money on or they have classified data and it's really wrong and they kind of effectively need to start from scratch um, in most cases I'm now finding that when I'm working with these clients I'm building them a customized taxonomy to classify their data with so that they can report on the things in their business terms and the way that they need to see it rather than an off-the-shelf taxonomy such as the UNSPSC which is really wordy um, you know we don't need information technology and broadcasting services do as a level one IT would do you know, so mm-hmm. let's keep it nice and short so that it comes up nice on charts as well. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and that can be anything from tens of thousands of rows up to millions of rows. Um, so it really depends. And I also normalize the suppliers first. So that means taking your PwC, your P.W.C, Price Warehouse Coopers, Price Space Warehouse Space Coopers. Um, and standardizing that to one common term of PwC so that when I'm classifying, it makes it easier for me for a start. But then actually, it, you know, this is normally a bigger issue with global data sets or if you've got different divisions, but suddenly you actually get a true picture of how much you're spending with that one company across the globe. So it, just by doing that, you can bring so much visibility to a data set. Um, and, and most clients are surprised just by that. So I love the kind of the wow factor that it gives them just by doing something that I enjoy and it brings them some some useful information. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess in terms of the types of clients then just so the audience can kind of get a feel for that, are you working across kind of, you know, major corporations just within their procurement department or is it kind of, you know, specific procurement type businesses? What's the, you know, the the background? So the majority uh, of my business is direct with procurement departments. So it's either the CPO head of procurement that I'm working with. And, you know, these are majority global companies. Some of them uh, you would very well known that you would you would have heard of mm-hmm. um, others like national local like UK charities things like that um, medical equipment manufacturer I've been doing some stuff in market research in healthcare and um, previously um, 
earlier on. I've done uh, education, university stuff. Um, and then going back further, I've done, I've classified even more. So I've pretty much seen it all. I, and a lot of um, like MRO parts, so nuts, bolts, screws, um, loads of stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's not that I need to work in a specific industry or a specific function. I can work across and I can work with direct and indirect or just indirect spend, you know, or just tail spend. I tend to do the whole file though. Um, and that's important for consistency, which is one of the C's of quote, um, because you want to make sure it's, it's it's even across the board. I mean, I find it fascinating because businesses that are on the start of that data and analytics journey, and obviously data has been around since anyone started trading, right? Every yeah. business has got it, but it's, it's kind of the last 10 years, we've started to take notice of actually, okay, we can take this thing and make it work for us. We can make it, you know, so make, powerful. yeah, make, you know, we can turn it into to dollars or pounds or euros or whatever currency we're, we're kind of trading in. And then I think, you know, we're at this point where everyone has seen that and gone, right, that's what we need to do. So they go to the advanced analytics, they go to the data science, they go to the AI. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but often they've not got the ducks in a row to be able to get true value out of the other end, right? So we've seen this resurgence of, you know, the data management, the data quality, the privacy, the governance, all, all of that type of stuff, especially over the last six to 12 months where it's become much more of a focal point because I think, you know, I'm not sure whether it's because some of these fancier, sexier projects have not delivered the results they were hoping for. And it's been, ah, that's been the light bulb moment or, you know, there's something else behind it. But I guess, you know, the topic of data quality has always been around and, but the the emphasis, as I've said, has kind of, and the discussion around it has been, you know, recently kind of brought to the forefront. Um, yeah. What's your experience with that? Why, why do you think that is? So I can tell you now, and it's, it's the big secret. <laughs> that everybody knows about, nobody maintains their data. They pay loads of money to get it fixed and make it nice, and then they leave it. And that's where the problems lie. And it's it's mainly an issue with, it's more of a people issue than a data issue. So people who are inputting the data and need to be more accurate. That's the nuts and bolts of it. Um, but I think that data cleansing, data prep has is being seen traditionally as a bit of a menial task, that it's it's a low-skilled task. And actually, that's not the case, especially with spend data. You know, you need to know things, like just things. So, for example, when I have DHL in a file, I need to know who I'm classifying for. Because if it's someone like myself, it's going to be courier services or postal, something like that. But if it's a huge uh, manufacturer in the UK, or a producer of food or something, it's probably going to be logistics, warehousing, distribution. Um, because of my past experience, I know that companies like DHL have massive warehouses where they pick and pack everything and ship it out. So it's little, you know, little things like that that you can't just pick a student up and say, here, you fix that if they've never worked with it before or, or they don't know what the scenario is. Or, or even things like formatting or you know, making sure your date goes in in the right format, you know, making sure your addresses go in in the right columns. It's um, it's a bigger task than just managing the data, but nobody really sees that. So I'm trying to shout about that a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I've had people on the podcast before um, 
recorded one relatively recently that's going to go out soon, but um, a lady by the name of Lisa Allen, who's the head of data and analytics at Ordnance Survey. Yeah, yeah, and, I know. Yeah. To Lisa, yeah. And she, she, she was basically saying as, you know, upon executing the data strategy, where a lot of businesses go wrong is they make it very difficult for the people yeah. day to day to do the right thing. You know, they're having to jump through hoops and, you know, it's just the process is too long or whatever the case may be. Um, interested to hear your thoughts on, on that because I guess, you know, you're you're often retrospectively brought into the situation yeah. to fix something, right? As opposed to them trying to get it right first time around. So exactly. wh- 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 um, why does that why does that happen? Things standard slip. Um, I obviously start with the end in mind. So, so if we are now building a new taxonomy, let's think about what you want the end result to be. You know, your data might not be in great shape now, but what would you like to be able to report on in the future? Because you can start to change things like the detail on the invoices, etc. So, most of the time, they're trying to fix the right now problem rather than thinking longer term. Um, it's really interesting um, what Lisa said, because something that I say to a lot of people when they ask me about this is say, oh, well, you know, we've got these people inputting data and they won't want to use this new taxonomy and then do, do, do. And I say, well, don't try and force people to change their ways because people don't like change. So let them input their data in the way that they've always done it and let us map it in the background to what it needs to be with the new information. So there might be some changes that need to be made, but you know, it's all about making it as easy as possible for the people who are inputting the data because most of them are not technical people. They're not procurement people even. They're just coming in to do their job and this just happens to be part of their job. So, and probably a bit that they don't really focus on very much or or often care about that's why why mistakes happen because people don't care enough about it but Mm -hmm. if we can show these people what the path of that data is and how it's impacted by what they put in and how it impacts their colleagues then I think we could get people more engaged in actually being more accurate so if you have not been filling in this box because you didn't think it was important and then you find out that someone in another department is spending like two hours a week having to fix that because there's no information. And you know that person, you'd be like, oh, well, I can, I know that. I can just put that in now. But it's, I think we can engage people that way rather than saying, you must do this. You know, this will save time. It's, this is how it's going to impact your friend who sits across there. Mm-hmm. Um, so by doing that, I think that's a better way of in, engaging people. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me that because that whole thing that you were speaking about there is no different to half of the other conversations that I have irrespective yeah. of topic in data, right? It's, yeah. it's about some kind of cultural change that's needed and yeah. for people to realize the benefit of, of what their actions are at a particular point in time, um, yeah. which is so interesting. So I guess obviously you're often brought in to kind of land and, and fix what's gone wrong. And you mentioned there previously about this whole, you know, businesses don't maintain their their data why are organizations getting this so wrong i understand from from a ground level perspective that you know the the entry of that data if if you know yeah. if they've not got the buy in and and they're not understanding the consequences and you know they don't have the nuances or the domain knowledge maybe or whatever the case may be but upon that then if you're going in and fixing that Surely there's still a bigger problem there right because as you say it becomes about people and not and not data so as soon as you leave 
you know, any more data that comes in there. So are you kind of helping shape some kind of process around how they should be doing this before you leave? I do sometimes. Sometimes I literally hand it over and that that's it. I'm done. Um, but I, I always and I'm and sometimes I'll stay around for a few refreshes to help them maintain it. But I will always, always say that, you know, you should be doing this yourself. You need to know your own data. And and literally, if you're looking at your data monthly or quarterly um, or on a regular basis, it's really easy for you to pick up when something's not right and change it. Like I can come in and I can start to read the data within a day and I can start to tell when things aren't right. So if I can do that within a day, if you're looking at it and that's your job, you should be able to do that in a relatively short time as well. And then as if you tweak those things as you're going, there's going to be less issues that manifest. But also because of the work I've done, you can, and we're not talking fancy AI or even any software needed for this. You can use VLOOKUPs if you need to. You, you can match on either supplier and supplier in description from the already classified data. So you should be able to pull through a good 70, 80% of classified data already. So say you're doing that monthly. What's that? A couple of hours of your time instead of sitting at the end of a year thinking this is going to take me months to fix. So it's about thinking about it differently, thinking about it, making it part of your routine and, and appreciating its value as well. Which I guess I kind of want to jump into to that point. So obviously yeah. obvious question, but what are the, you know, what's the importance and, and I guess the benefits of making sure that you've got the accurate data, you know, in, in your where you've seen it go well and maybe that cultural shift happen you know, out of the other side comes some kind of, well, I presume a lot of, of benefit, but but what, what have you seen that's kind of really stood out to you as the kind of real important things and, and the benefits that you've seen, you know, that businesses, I guess, obtain through through I doing think, this properly? I think it, more than the cost savings or the time savings, you actually get to really see what's going on in your business. So I've got a great couple of examples. So one is last year I classified 4,000 suppliers. It was supplier name only, about 100 countries. So you can't imagine the number of languages I had to go through with just a supplier name. I mean, it was tough. But from that exercise, the client then found that they had 1,000 consultants on their books. So they didn't know that before. Um, so that's that's a lot of consultants so globally, but still that's a lot of consultants. They probably didn't need all of those. So then they can start to look at, well, who's paying what and what are we getting for this? And let's rationalize it down. So that's that's one story. Another is I did some work for a client in Germany and they had maybe like four or five hundred hubs around the country. And the central head office had like a master SKU list of products but the hubs were all creating their own individual SKUs for the same products. So, for example, Coca-Cola could have like 20, 30, 50 different codes for the same thing. And, I mean, some of the descriptions were shocking. It just said Coca-Cola, so you couldn't even tell from that what size or what format, what packaging it came in. But just by doing that and and kind of rationalizing and grouping together the products and things, they could see already that the hubs were buying from their friends down the road rather than the preferred supplier. And they were paying more for that than Mm -hmm. 
So they could, you know, it's like compliance and things like that. You know, they, you could see within the business that they had gone rogue. So, you know, it, it tells a, a, a real picture and story of, of what's going on in the business. You know, someone can tell you something's happening, but the data can show you. I mean, again, really interesting and and, and the, all this stuff fascinates me. But I guess, um, you know, based on, on that, I guess what, what, what you kind of get into here is obviously to do this properly, there is a cost, but ultimately you've got to look at this as an investment for what you get yeah. out of the other side of this so that, that, you know, it's going to cost you something to do it, but it's going to cost you something to do anything, right, effectively. No, nothing so, in this world that's yeah. worth doing is is free. Um, but ultimately what you're getting out of the other side is the ability, some kind of value with the ability that theoretically can turn into pounds and pence. You know, for that example say. that you said, a thousand consultants, well, they might not need a thousand, they might only need 300. So that's 700 consultants that they can take off their books and therefore they've just saved X amount of thousands of pounds. And think of all the time that's been saved for processing invoices, having to enter them and manage them in the system. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, they're all hidden costs as well. Yeah, obviously the, the benefits there seem, seem, seem very obvious to me. Have you got any kind of horror stories of, you know, the consequences of when having data, dirty data has been, you know, has gone has gone bad to the point, you know, where it's been a bit of a shocker? Um, well, I mean, I think most files, there there's some shockers in there. <laughs> um, it's normally things like people putting spend through on uh, P cards, credit cards that they shouldn't be. Right. Uh, um, or... Yeah, just um, I've even seen, you know, um, companies, if they've got normalization already, it's been normalized to the wrong supplier. So it's all getting categorized as the wrong thing. Um, my favorite example has always been um, when I once categorized IBM and there was cleaning services in there. Nobody had picked up on it for goodness knows how long. And it was just sitting there. And I was just like, how, how can you not notice this but again it's people need to be i guess shown in the right way to check for things you know because there's really easy ways that you can spot check but it's knowing how to do it yeah okay so jumping into that then how you know when you're advising these these clients in the times that you are you know after you've gone in you fix the data and now you're saying right here's what you should be doing so that you don't need to call me again, right? Yeah. How, how do you how do you go about making sure that that data is accurate, you know, so that they're not, again, having to go through that process of bringing you back in to fix it? So I'll, um, I mean, again, this does not require massive investment in software or fancy tools. You can do this with a pivot table or some kind of like Tableau or click. Yep. Um, get an aggregated table, and then start to look at if you have multiple classifications against one supplier, you know, if it's like ABC solicitors and you've got um, janitorial supplies classified there, then it's going to stand out if you're looking at a list. Um, little things like that really, I mean, it, you know, it takes a while to scroll down. But, you know, if again, if you're familiar with your data and your suppliers, then then information like that is going to just jump out at you. You know, you'd be like, right, that's not right. And then you can fix it. Hmm. Um, so it doesn't have to be a big, scary job, I think. You know, you could even split it out into categories. 
you know, um, and then you might find that you've given the IT category to the IT category manager, but actually, you know what, guess what, 10% of the data in there isn't even IT. So, you know, you can make it manageable. It doesn't have to be one person, um, but it is good to look at your data as a whole at the end to make sure that everything is is consistent. But it's it's just about checking, being familiar with it, knowing your suppliers and your data. For the benefit of the listeners that, you know, maybe work on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, you know, more on the, the data science and AI type yeah. of, of, of stuff, what's the... It seems like an obvious question, but what are the core benefits of being able to classify that data? You know, why are businesses wanting to to, to do this to, to the detail that you're kind of explaining there? It, there's a number of benefits that are beyond um, cost savings. You know, you can, um, if you've got, you're an online retailer, you need to categorize your products into groups so that they go on the website. So when it's like, Trousers, black trousers, black short trousers, black long trousers, you know, categorization is used everywhere in, in business and, and places that you might not even think about. Um, but actually, the biggest thing that surprises me, um, and I get a lot of questions from data scientists or young analysts starting out, they're not taught about data cleansing or data prep. They don't know how to do it. It's not part of their job. Um, but actually, it's the most important bit that you need to do before you can start analytics or data science or AI machine learning. Um, because if it learns from bad data, then you're going to have bad outputs. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think there's a really um, good case for, for also telling data scientists that they need to collaborate more with the people they're working with. Um, because I've been in situations where... AI uh, has been used and the output is wrong and the data scientist is adamant that the coding and, and all the machine learning is running perfectly. And it is, but the data that I had learned from was wrong. So, And they didn't know enough about the business to know that the output was wrong. So, so I would say, yeah, it's categorization is important for a number of things, but so are other things like cleansing and collaboration. Yeah. That's interesting. So going back to your example there about the retailer, effectively yeah. what you're saying is that there may be some examples out there where a retailer's categorizing, you know, trousers as one yeah. thing, but there's various different colors, different sizes, um, you know, so on you and so miss, forth. If you miss um, putting the color in, for example, when people are doing their searches, that product is not going to show up and then that's going to affect sales that's going to affect production that's going to affect the raw materials or you know if you're making it or if you're buying it whatever but it has a knock-on effect um and I did some work for a retailer uh, last year and they were getting a lot of uh, returns and they didn't really understand why so everything that they had was free text so I categorized it into type of return and the different types of reason and it could be it was too big it was too small it didn't suit me and actually, you could see that there was a trend with one of the products that it was oversized. So it was coming up big. So most people were returning it because it was too big. So then they could put something on their website to say this, this size comes up large. And then that would minimize the cost of having to ship returns and then ship out another product. Mm. So, and again, but that's categorization again. I had to categorize the responses 
Um, it's, it's just about grouping things together to be able to look at it in a way that is useful. Now, this, this stuff absolutely fascinates me because I guess that the type of conversations that we're normally having, um, this seems so logical and so simplistic, yet I'm, I'm kind of sat here thinking, why are so many businesses really bad at this? <laughs> you know, because they, they evidently are right. I mean, it's, it's part of the, the role, I guess, as you mentioned at the start, that's for whatever reason, it's getting overlooked. It's a menial task, yeah. but whatever's going in is a byproduct yeah, of or, what's going to come are, out, right? Yeah, they are fixing it and then they're letting it just go wrong again. You know, they're neglecting it. Um, I hear a lot, you know, that people spend an absolute fortune on investing in a new ERP or CRM system, but they forget to cleanse the data first. So once it goes in, there's duplicates, there's missing information, there's partial records, there, there's this, that, and the next thing. And it's kind of like, well, the client doesn't know that they need to do that to their data before they install the new system, but the person selling the system didn't actually tell them that either, probably because they don't want to do it because it's <laughs> the job that nobody wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. All, all of this makes absolute sense to me. So the, the process f- for you then, so the coat, talk, talk us through that. Talk us through yeah, the coat. So it, that came about by accident too. Um, when I was <laughs> doing another podcast, um, but like I say, I think it's really important to engage the people who are non-technical as much as the technical people. And coat is a really simple way of, of everybody being able to engage and remember what it means. So C is for consistency. So that means things like use standard terminology. The number of times I say liters spelt in five to ten different ways, grams, um, keep everything, you know, have some agreed standards even things like how are you how are you putting a name in how are you formatting the 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 address the phone number keep it all the same so that when you need to do something it's really easy to see then it needs to be organized so um i always uh, compare it to your wardrobe so you know you've got a really messy wardrobe and you know your favorite tops in there but you've got to rummage through it to find it and then it's probably a bit creased by the time you find it um and it's taken you ages. But had you organised your wardrobe by clothing type or by colour or or, how, or both, if you want, um, it would be so much easier to just open that wardrobe door and then pull it out and, and it's ready to wear and it's gone. So data is very much like that. You can organise it in a number of different ways. So by country, by division, by department, by product owner, by procurement person um by what you know whatever you want um so that you can go in quickly and pull a report off and say all right how is sales and marketing doing today right we've got this we've got that you know who's buying what um if you don't have that organization in your data then weeks trying to find out so it's really useful um and then of course it has to be accurate so that's really really important and I would never be so naive to say that data could be 100% accurate. There will always be glitches in there. So it's, it's getting it as accurate as possible. And I've even heard some um, business people say, you know, as long as it's fit for purpose, 
So because there's different types of data, you know, could be personal data, it could be financial data, it could be sales and marketing data. So it really depends on what it is, but it's got to be right for the people who are using it. And then finally, once you have all those things, it, it should make it trustworthy. And, and that's the most important thing because business decisions are being made every day on data. Everybody in the boardroom is using that data to decide things like budgets, bonuses, um, recruitment or redundancies, you know, the growth of the company. And, and even up to that level, I don't think there's enough knowledge at that level for them to interrogate their data when they see a chart. Unless something really obvious sticks out, they probably wouldn't know how to go in and just spot check that data to make sure it's accurate. So again, I'm trying to target those people, senior people, to give them the tools to be able to interrogate that data. Because you know, if you know that someone at the top is going to be able to go in and, and question what you've done, you're going to make sure it's thorough and you're going to make sure it's right. But at the moment, I think people know they can get away with things not being quite right or tweaking the figures to make it look a bit better than it is. Mm. You know, it does, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a question for you here because a lot of the conversations that I'm getting kind of brought into and hearing about and being involved in and all that type of stuff it kind of comes back to a word that you mentioned there around trust, right? Yeah. And I was having a back and forth, a bit of an exchange on LinkedIn recently with somebody who um, basically said to me that um, off the back of a post that I'd put put out and uh, around how most executives, I'd, I'd read an article, I think it was last yeah. weekend, that basically said less than 20% of executives trust their data. Yeah. And this person I came back to me that. and, yeah, and then this person came back to me and said, well, that might be true. But or, or is it more a case of they don't trust the people that are presenting the data? So coming back to this whole concept of, of buying, right? Because I guess that it seems irrespective of topic, whoever I'm speaking to, we often land on this topic of, of buying from from the executives and from the from the board and from the stakeholders and all that type of stuff around. They need to kind of buy into what you know whatever we're talking about but they almost need to really buy into that but for that to have any legs to go the distance and kind of change effectively is kind of what we're talking about in most instances so i guess you being on that side of the fence that that's really interesting for me obviously you're talking about the whole trustworthy piece so I presume you, you, you'll have seen a lot of this in terms of the trust and the data and the, the relationship with the buy-in and the execs and stuff like that. But, yeah. but what type of impacts have you, have you kind of seen from that? So I think the first thing I would say on that is trust the data, not the person, because the people will change, but the data stays within the organisation. Um, so yes, people can be um, untrustworthy, mm-hmm. but if the data is right behind that you can still go back and get that but if the data's not right you're never going to find find that truth yeah um i see it all the time um you know a client i'm working for right now they've been trying for like three years to get classification of their data because they have no visibility on their spend you know how can you make cost savings if you don't know what you're buying yeah. And with who? <laughs> um, so, this, so this is the the crazy thing to me. Like, just the the way you frame that, then just it sounds so simple, like so logical. Like, how, how do we yeah. know what was? How do we know where we can save money if we don't know what we're spending? Like that, that just seems so obvious, right? Yet, 
so many businesses find themselves in, in that situation, which is, I, I don't know, it, it kind of I think they get so big. Almost. They get so big yeah. that it's really hard to change a process. Or, you know, it could be that they're, they're saying, well, you know, you have to do this as part of an IT project, so you'll have to wait 18 months for it to be implemented. Yeah. Um, and they're like, no, we need to do this now. So that's kind of like, I'm the bypass, you know, I'm the quick plaster over the, you know, the situation. <laughs> let's, let's get it sorted now. Yeah. Um, because if it's just tied in with another project, then it gets forgotten. People don't, you know, IT people are not procurement people. They don't know the data the same way. So, um, and, and, and something I always say is even, so, you know, they're quite happy to to pull in consultants and who charge millions, hundreds of thousands and millions of pounds for their services. But to get me in, uh, and my fees will probably, are generally falling below the 100K mark. No, that's really tough. They, it's almost like it's not enough money. Um, but the <laughs> thing is, you know, imagine if you could save even just 1% of your gross turnover by paying my fees to fix your data but it's trying to get them to think like that and it comes back to that you know data is an investment it's not a cost but but this is why and and I guess the work that you're doing on LinkedIn kind of I I really love because yeah if you think about this conversation on the other side of that coin yeah where we're talking about artificial intelligence because that's seen as sexy for want of a better word it's a case of well, you know, imagine if we can have a a one percent incremental gain by building a better model, and all of a sudden, because that results in millions, that's fine. But as you say, you know, the fact that well, why don't you spend a hundred grand and fix your data, and you don't have to build a model, you don't have the cost of yeah. building the model, it's and then you you get that money back, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's it's kind of like it's whatever suits the narrative, I guess, of yeah. the direction that the company wants to pull in it. It almost seems a lot of the time. Yeah, and and. You know, up front, I can't show you mm. what I'm going to produce. So there's 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 a leap of faith in taking me on and using my services. But you know, everybody's happy with the the data they get back. Um. So, but so it's but it's really hard because I can't say like, here's a product, and this is what it's going to do. Well, yeah. I'm the product, really. Yeah. Um, you know, I could I could easily repackage myself and say that I'm using AI to classify. <laughs> and I could promise you I could probably make five times more money saying that I had an AI system and, and selling that. Well, maybe because... that's the next part of the business model then. You need to get some AI consultants in <laughs> oh, to help you do that. <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah, I want to educate people and 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 say, you know, we're not there yet, not in, in this specific area. It's you know rubbish in rubbish out, um, and 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 a lot of people are missold this uh, dream that either software or AI is going to fix all the problems. But again, if your data is not right before you start, it's not going to be right on the other side. Yeah. It's hard to convince people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know we're starting to hear the conversation more, and hopefully the fact that we're continuing to now talk about this stuff a little bit more is yeah, is a step think- in the right direction. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've heard a lot of um, stories about, you know, projects that have gone horrifically wrong because of bad data. The problem is nobody wants to speak about it because they don't want to publicly admit that they have wasted so much money on a mm-hmm. project that has failed. So it's really hard to give example, real life examples of where it's gone wrong because nobody wants to admit it happened in the first place. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. I guess yeah. you know it, it's interesting because I think the old adage of rubbish in, rubbish out has has been around for for donkey's years, right? That's the polite but, version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but you know what I mean. It's it, yeah. We we all know that, but yet still these things are happening, um, which. Yeah, it's um, it, uh, and for me, obviously, that just comes back to the whole, the the, the shift in the culture and, and yeah, actually I mean, changing I... the process of how things get done. And, and and it seems like, as with anything in our industry, because we're trying to move things forward, that requires change, and people don't and businesses don't like change. And I think yeah. it comes down to often it's it's as simple as that. I do think I'm in a really good position though because I'm not affiliated to any company, any particular software. You know, I'm just talking for me. Mm-hmm. So when I say things, I'm saying it because I mean it. Yeah. Um. So so hopefully that I I can keep using that voice to keep talking about the things that are important. Yeah. Uh, and that people will will start to pass on the word, spread yep. the news. Absolutely. So last couple of questions then. Um. Obviously, this has become you know a bigger topic as we've discussed. Are organisations putting people internally to try and do this? You know, have have someone in in the business directly who is wholly responsible for for the kind of cleaning and classification and fixing of, of said data. Some definitely are. Um, so I know that from some work I did for a client, they actually created a whole analyst role, and nice. um, they had never done anything before. So that was great news. Um, yeah. That the work I had done was enough to actually well, justify a business case for it and, and obviously gave them a lot of information. Um, larger organisations do have teams um, because they can afford it. Most of the time it's tagged on to someone else's job and there's always something more important to be done. So that's where it goes a bit wrong. And then there are some, um, I am having conversations where there are some organisations that are like, you know, I can do this, but I don't have the time. So I would rather just give it to you. So, you know, and, and while I always say, you know, um, off the bat, you know, you should really know your own data. I'm more than happy to, to, you know, you know, make sure that it stays right, you know, and correct, you know, because that is what works for some people. And, you know, it it really depends on the size of the organization and the type of data and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Susan, if anyone wants to get hold of you and I guess inquire about your services or how you may be able to help them, what's the best way for them to, to reach you? So LinkedIn is pretty much my playground. That's yep. pretty much a full-time <laughs> job in itself. Yep. Um, so I'm around there a lot. I'm Susan Morse, the classification guru. Um, I am classification G on Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram. I think I'm classification G as well, but you know, LinkedIn is my home and the classificationguru.com is my website. So you can find all my social media links on there as well. Perfect. Susan, oh, it's I'm been... sorry, one more Go thing. On. My YouTube channel, I can't yeah. put my YouTube channel because <laughs> I've got some great quote videos on there that you must go and watch. Um, so that's just the classification guru on YouTube. Perfect. All right. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, Thank you. Keep up the very good work and um, we look forward to speaking to you soon. Great. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Speak soon. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, 
like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.